You're listening to Around the King's Table, a podcast of the Mount Church in Clemson, South Carolina, with Pastor George Marshall and Pastor Brian Mann. Pull up a chair and listen in as they seek to serve up biblical dialogue for building disciples of Jesus. All right. Well, welcome again to this episode of Around the King's Table. As always, we like to put forward our aim. Yeah. Biblical dialogue for building disciples, disciples of Jesus. Of Jesus. We're going to get it. We're going to, it's going to be nice and crisp and clean at some oh, yeah. point. I'm Brian. I'm George. And uh, on today's episode, uh, we want to continue to answer some of the questions yeah, that we've received from uh, our member college students. So here we go. In Mark 15, verse 34, uh, Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, did the father actually abandon the son in that moment? Okay. These are great questions, guys. It's a great question. <laughs> um, I, I actually come yeah. closer down on the side of no. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not, uh, there's a lot of people who push back on that. Um, unfortunately there, there's a ton of people who would take that answer as a rejection of the gospel. Um, and so what they've done there is by equating that abandonment with God's full wrath being meted out to Jesus. Um, if they connect those two so strongly and you say, well, Jesus wasn't abandoned, then uh, Jesus didn't experience that wrath. Mm -hmm. And therefore you've just rejected the gospel. Um, and I think that when we do that, we we don't really give, it's basically, whether you want to call it a straw man or a no true Scotsman kind of argument, you're really saying you're not, because of that statement and the way I've connected it, you're not really a Christian by that. And they can write it off. And that's a horrible reading, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, um, sure. So I, I think a lot of what this takes is going back to Psalm 22. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and we can combine that with a little bit of 2 Samuel 7 and 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 First Chronicles 17. Those are those two passages are the Davidic covenant. Um, but going back to Psalm 22 first, this is him um, after anointing yeah. as king mm -hmm. by Nathan in private, but before he's actually coming to the throne. So you have this period of time where he's been pretty much because of Saul's overreaction to his victories has pushed him out. He's not even able to really safely go into the, the nation of Israel, that, that land area. He's with the Gentiles and he's being hunted by Saul, by the, the other outsiders to Israel. Mm -hmm. And so he's experiencing that rejection. And so he's crying out, you know, God, why have you put me in this position? Um, now, if you read that whole Psalm, it's a Psalm of trust. He he knows that God is still working on him. He knows he still has the spirit on him. Yeah. Um, we saw the spirit, you know, leave Saul and go on to David. And David still knows that he, he still has that, that mm -hmm. presence to kind of give him trust, even though he hasn't been made King of Israel, like he expected, even though the time is still waiting. Um, and so I see in Psalm 22, while I, while I don't want to say that some people have you know, kind of argued that they just list the first verse of the, Jesus just cries out the first verse so that you'll think of the whole thing. The whole thing. I think yeah. that's maybe an overstretch, but I do think that if we properly read it, it is a God, you put me in this position and I am still trusting you in this position. Mm -hmm. um, and that I think better connects with the rest of the whole synoptic and John bringing them all together with how they portray Jesus willingly, knowingly going towards his sacrifice. Mm -hmm. I think getting him there and just treating it as a God turning away and him unexpected. Why? It, it does a little bit of, it, it, you, you sit there going, 
is that really how Jesus responded? Yeah. So I don't know. So so maybe some thoughts from you first. Well, I guess one of my thoughts is, is there any difference ultimately between what, what David says there, his experience of God forsakenness and the experience of the Messiah's God forsakenness? That's a good question. So, so like with David, I would say there are times when we could feel like we are God forsaken, right? But we're not correct. So, so in the sense that he's still, he's still there. Um, you know, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's in Joshua. Sure. You know, these kinds of things. So he, he's, he's made this promise to, to believers. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. I think he makes it in light of what's going to happen on the cross. Okay. Right. So <clears throat> I guess what I'm saying is, is there a distinction there between did, did Jesus only suffer what David was suffering there in Psalm 22? Is he just saying, I just feel like. Yeah. You have forsaken me I think as opposed to like an actual abandonment. Feeling. I think it's more yeah. than feeling. And in the same way that I think for David, it was more than just a feeling of abandonment. Mm-hmm. God had actually put him in a situation where he was feeling destitute, ripped off, set apart from the nation, um, not having experienced those blessings. Yeah. And I think Jesus is very much feeling that same situation. Yeah. He is unjustly uh, punished yeah. um, by Jew and Gentile alike mm-hmm. um, for sin that he didn't commit. He's the just one being being punished this way. Yeah. And so I think there's real feeling. It's not a real experience and not just feeling. Um, so I think that's a, a, a good thing to take up. Um, I think a lot of it comes in when we, there's this the popular expression that, you know, God's face can't, you know, be, God can't face sin. And I think that often plays into this passage where God had to turn away um, because he couldn't see sin. But unfortunately, I don't think, I mean, I think that doesn't really play well if you go to Genesis 3, um, yeah, where, where you know, Adam and Eve are, you know, dealing with, you know, yeah. their sin and God comes right up to them and deal, deals with it. And we've been reading of Gentle and Lowly. Um, I think that just really yeah. pushes the, 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 the way that we see that <clears throat> Jesus and God yeah. the Father I mean, you have the passage running after those dealing with sin. I mean, you have the passage where, you know, his eyes are, you know, too pure to behold evil and (laughs) stuff like that. But but then you also have Job where it's like Satan, the the adversary is actually coming into his very presence. Yeah. It's more the idea of Psalm 1 where, you know, Psalm 1, those first couple verses, which are meant to kind of reflect the king. They're meant to reflect Jesus again and and David as descendant. But it really is like, you know, blessed is the man who, you know, doesn't seat, sit in the seat with sinners, doesn't scoff at, you know, God's way. Yeah. And so you have this idea with the, you know, <clears throat> no, you know, with Habakkuk of God doesn't condone that. He's not sitting there promoting it or mm. profiting from it. Um, he's going to be holy and he's going to be righteous um, yeah. as he deals with these, this exilic community. Yeah. Yeah. My other question would be, if uh, if he wasn't actually, I'm using that term. I know what you yeah. Yes. So actually abandoned. Do we have any actual assurance in the promise I think that so. we find in Hebrews where he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Like if I he didn't so. actually suffer that abandonment. Uh-huh. So what I'm saying, I guess yeah. what I would say is he experienced God's full wrath on sin. Yeah. And then, so, so what we really have there is a, does the verse he's quoting yeah. refer to the same thing so he can express that and not have it relate? And this is why I would disjoint the two and say whether or not that is talking about his abandonment mm-hmm. is separate from whether or not he's experienced God's full wrath for sin. 
And we know from other places in scripture, so we're not hinged on this one verse on whether or not God dealt with his wrath towards sin. So mm-hmm. the consequences of sin that we're sort of do, um, he's dealt with it. And so even if we say, you know, hey, he didn't abandon him, which we would question, you know, what does it mean to abandon yeah. when you won? Did Jesus, you know, lose the spirit? You know, from all that we can tell, he lived in constant communion with the spirit, was baptized in the spirit. It's yeah. present in all his ministry. So, I mean, he, I, I don't think many people would argue that he lost it at that point. So yeah. he still has the spirit within him. He is still both God and man without that being divorced, really. Yeah. So in what way, when we talk about abandonment, what do we mean? Yeah. And we, we're going to have uh, we're going to have to struggle with some time, space anthropomorphic so. metaphors as yeah. we're dealing with this Very issue of so. abandonment. Did he deal with the full weight of sin and God's just punishment for it? Yeah. Absolutely. And if we want to talk abandonment in those terms, yeah, yeah God had to go, I have to judge this. I can't let it go. Yeah. But Jesus was still the sinless person who was able to make that sacrifice. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we get dealing with really the, the wording of it. Mm-hmm. What do we mean by abandoned at that point? Mm-hmm. Forsaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It gets a little bit, um, a little bit twisted yeah. uh, in there because of, I mean, you have Trinitarian Absolutely. issues yep. and then you have Christological issues. That's correct. Uh, so I would probably be a little divergent and just that I would say from a Trinitarian perspective, the father and the son can never be separated. Right. So, so at the Trinitarian level, okay, I get, I see that they're, they're inseparable. Um, at the Christological level, right. he became a man. And a lot, and as you go through the Gospels, especially, uh, I think, in John, uh, you can see uh, the things that you could really only say about the Son, he says about right. himself, the man. Yeah. Because what you can say about one of the natures seems like he can say of the person. Yeah, I mean, and the Christ. biggest argument of that is, you know, it, was there a sense in which God the full Trinity God was dead for three days in the grave? No. No. But right. so so but I, person, I do understand that argument. Yeah. But Jesus was dead. Yes. <laughs> but I am a little dicey, you know, yeah. of divorcing yeah. the two. I, I would actually yeah. go that God actually experienced himself as Jesus, the punishment for our sin. Yeah. He tasted death, is what the writer of Hebrews right. says. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a See, see again for me. I, I, I again. I, and I'm, I'm not at all to the end of the the rope on this conversation. <laughs> um, but I do wonder again about the if he didn't actually suffer um, my hell, if he didn't actually suffer, mm-hmm. um, you know, the the penalty of my sins, or if he didn't actually suffer my abandonment. How is it that the Father can say so certainly? Mm. Uh, yeah. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah. And that, I think the reason we're... he can say that to me is because Jesus actually suffered my God forsakenness. Whatever, whatever that means, he right. actually suffered my abandonment in order that I might never be abandoned by the Father. And so that's where I'm exactly. kind of like... Exactly. And that's what that I line. would actually agree with. Yeah. But unfortunately, it does, it, yeah, it's this idea of we have to understand abandonment, the, mm-hmm. the, what it means to be forsaken. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, Jesus experienced God's wrath, the penalty of my sin mm-hmm. in full. He mm-hmm. did. And as long as we can keep that grounded, we yeah. can kind of work together on yeah. what it means. Hopefully we avoided some uh, heresy, heresy. Yeah. heresy in that one. <laughs> okay. Uh, last one here. Uh, as students 
may wonder uh, why they can't just substitute an on-campus ministry Mm -hmm. for the local church. Can you help us communicate the necessity of meaningful church membership from the Bible? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So when we... Let's take a stab. Yeah. So when we get to the New Testament, I I think one of the the quickest ways to get there um, is really looking at 1 Timothy. Um, And so we see... Paul's writing to First Timothy. He's a you know sort of a missionary in place, raising up leaders for that church. And we see what he does. He says, you know, I want you to be diligent to put together the elders, to put together the deacons, to raise a body that is biblically instructed and committed as disciples. And so we see this group, and he's interested in the church. Um, he's not interested in a you know quasi Asian Asia Minor pact um, of people um, serving. He wants that local church right. to be healthy and strong. And so as we do look, yes, there are missionaries, and Paul is a great example, um, going around. But even those missionaries, Paul being the example, are commissioned by churches. Um, it isn't just some separate organization that's saying, okay, we've got our own body of people, and mm-hmm. we're going to send them out, and we're going to grow this whole area. It's churches feeling compelled by God to send people yeah. out and reach into areas. Right. Um, as they see God moving. And so I, I, that's what, that, that'll be the, the two big ones is I would see just the, the kind of the model of first Timothy of building up a strong church. And then just the example of missionaries who are being sent. So from acts, you know, acts, uh, let's see, um, 13 acts, 14 acts, right. 15, you see these constant things of, you know, they gathered the church to make decisions. Yep. They were praying and they sent it from the church. They came back and told the church what was happening. So there's always this focus on church, mm-hmm. um, to the, to the point where one has to go to like, if you're going to, and this, this sounds maybe harsh, but if you were going to look at scripture and do everything from scripture and not do anything separate from it, and you had to say, do we see parachurch ministry? You're going to go, we see a lot of instructions about what the church looks like and what it should yeah. be doing and not so rich on the parachurch other than them being sent by the church. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I have uh, six things that I'll, I'll just kind of try to bring in here quickly and you can feel free to to say whatever you'd like along along these lines. Sure. Uh, the first, so here are, my, here are my things. Context, big picture, body life, the gathering, accountability and assurance, and then submission to scripture. Mm -hmm. So ready? Oh yeah. Here we go. In terms of just context, like when we're reading the New Testament, especially as we get into uh, the the, the letters, um, the the pastorals, these kinds of things, uh, they're they're written to churches. Now the pastorals are written to pastors Pastors of churches. churches. (laughs) And and even ministry pastors, but of churches. Right. Now, Now, a lot of people would say, well, that's big C... Catholic church kind of thing. Well, okay, okay, but but it's written to churches in Corinth, or it's written to churches in Ephesus, or Galatia, or Galatians. Philippi, or mm-hmm. what, wherever it is. So it's churches that are in those those locales. And so I think as Christians were we're reading these letters, um, they wouldn't receive apostolic instructions and think, you know, th- what they're saying is, I just need to live this out amongst Christians that happen right. to be gathered at the neighborhood fruit stand. Like right. I don't think that's what's going on there. Yeah, I think they immediately walks among think the lamp stands, individual yes, churches. Yes, we're about to get there. Yeah. Yes. And so I think they, they would say, they would hear those instructions and go, I, I, I'm supposed to be living this out amongst the brothers and sisters in their local church in, let's say, Corinth, right. the church at Corinth. So, so I think when we read uh, the letters, we have to come with that kind of context mm-hmm. to it. Big picture, Ephesians 3.10 
This is what God's doing in the world. Right. He's displaying his glory, his redemptive wisdom, his purpose in the local church, in the church. Yes. And again, church is manifest, becomes visible in yeah. local, local churches. Mm-hmm. Matthew 28, I think the Great Commission implies um, local church. It mentions baptism there. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about ordinances here in just a second. Yep, I didn't get there. Right. First <laughs> uh, Peter chapter one, verse 22, all the way through really chapter four, but right there nestled in chapter two. Again, he's talking about, we, we you know, we've been knit together. We've been built together. We're a building. We're mm-hmm. a structure. We're supposed to be together. And, and as this structure, uh, we proclaim the excellencies of him, you know, and all these kinds of things. We display the glory of Christ. So again, we're just talking big picture here that it's in, it's the church and in the context of local churches, visible churches, uh, that God is revealing his glory, revealing his grace, revealing his redemptive wisdom in Christ. You mentioned the revelation passages. Again, Jesus is walking there in revelation two and three amongst the lampstands, uh, which are local churches. He's writing letters to local Local churches churches and saying, please, this is, this is what I desire of you. If you've been going this way, you need to repent, you know, and you need to come full circle. You need to love me. You need to be honoring me. You need to be faithful and all these kinds of things but you need to be radiating my glory as local churches. That's where it's happening. Right. Like this is where the drama of redemption is taking place, mainly in the context of local churches. So context, big picture, and then body life. Mm -hmm. So Romans 12, very simply, uh, 3 to 13 calls us to be members, parts of a body of Christ. Yes. 1 Corinthians 12 says we have been given gifts for mm-hmm. building, building up, up a local church. Again, nothing against parachurch organizations, sure. but those gifts are have been given to build up a local church. First Peter 4, 7 through 11, the church is the end time community. Mm-hmm. As, as we're drawing near to the end, what are you supposed to be doing? Yep. Praying with each other, mm-hmm. praying with people in the church, loving the church, showing hospitality to people in the church, and yep. using the gifts that God's given to you yep. Yeah, the lo- the love one another's are not just an open yes. thing. They are yep. specific. That's part of the body life here as well. Yep. I just put all over. I don't have a specific <laughs> passage, but all over the one another's. How can you meaningfully one another? Yeah, without a body. Without a body, yeah. being part of a body. So, context, big picture, body life. Next thing is the gathering, right? So we are commanded, mm-hmm. Hebrews ten twenty four and twenty five, not to neglect the gathering. Mm-hmm. Of the local church. Correct. First Corinthians 10, 17, as one example, we are commanded to practice the ordinances. Mm-hmm. Baptism and the Lord's, Lord's Supper. Supper. What do the ordinances do? Yeah. They make yeah. the church visible. visible. Yeah. That's Matthew visible. 18 again. That's not, right. Not the not the, you know, go privately, but the what y'all say, two or more of you, it's it's binding. Mm-hmm. I do give you that authority. Mm-hmm. Yep. Titus 2, 1 through 8, uh, we are called not just to have um, discipleship peer to peer, contemporary to contemporary. Uh, but again, Titus 2, 1 through 8, we're called to have multi-generational discipleship mm-hmm. and opportunities yep. for discipling. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 25, 2 Timothy 4, 1. 1 Timothy 5 is also the same intergenerational yep. ministry going That's on. That's right. That's yeah. correct. In these latter passages I just mentioned, God especially shows up 
in the gathering of the local church through the ordinary means of grace. You're mm-hmm. called to put yourself under the preaching of the word in the context of the local church, yep. uh, under the prayers of, of uh, the body of Christ in the context of corporate worship, these kinds of things. And there in 1 Corinthians 14, 25, uh, Paul saying, hey, when unbelievers come in amongst you, they're, they're supposed to notice something. Mm-hmm. God is there. Yeah. So I mean, he especially even, meets with us. Even in the, Paul's in the view body, of you know, why people would marry is is kind of body life based, where he mm-hmm. says, you know, do ministry together. And then if through that ministry you grow close enough that you want to marry, then marry. That's great. Yeah. He doesn't envision just random, you know, dating around the world. It's it's body life. It's actually serving yep. and ministering together and being drawn that way. Yep. So context, big picture, body life, the gathering accountability and assurance. Mm -hmm. Hebrews 10, again, 19 to 25 says, we are weak. Mm -hmm. We need the body of Christ to help us make it all the way home to glory. Sure. Uh, When we don't attach ourselves to a local church, we're really in essence saying, I'm strong enough. Yeah, I can do this on my own. I can do this on my own. I'm I'm the powerful missionary to this community. I don't need anybody else. Right. Even Paul didn't do that. Yeah, right. You know. Right. 1 John 2, 19 says it's being identified with a local church. That's one of the marks of a true Christian. That one's always right. like struck me in the heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were one of us, you would have stayed with us. You went out from us because you're not one of us. Not one of us. That's right. First yeah. Timothy 315, uh, we're called to a community that preserves sound doctrine. Like we're called as believers to be a part of a community that is uh, guarding the truth of God's word so that we live and behave and act in the world in a certain way that glorifies Jesus. Mm-hmm. Those communities are local churches. Right. That is our training ground. That's right. Yeah. And then this one's huge. First Peter 5, 1 through 5, Hebrews 13, 7, 17. We're called to be amongst pastors of local churches yep. and have pastors of local churches amongst, amongst us. us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need... Um, the ministry of pastors who know you and you know. Mm-hmm. It's about as simple as that. We need that kind of accountability Correct. in our lives as Christians. And then finally, submission to Scripture. Second Timothy 3, 16 to 17. We've just given a whole bunch of passages yeah. to try to press this home. And in light of all of that, we just need to submit to God's Word at the end of the day. God knows best, and He calls us to be meaningful members of local churches. Amen. Yeah. Whew. That was a lot. I think we've done it. I think so. Any final thoughts, brother? No, this was fun. I enjoyed it. We should do this again sometime. Yeah. Great questions, guys. Keep it coming. We love you all. May God have all the glory. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Amen.